0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we have a special message in store for you. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today.
1: All right, Jude, verse 3 and 4. This morning we trace the history of the Baptist Church and hopefully some of you gained a greater appreciation for why we are Baptists. Now tonight, we're going to look at why are we fundamental Baptist and why are we independent fundamental Baptist. I think we need to know this and understand that. I think if we were to ask most of our people before this morning's service, why are you a Baptist, they would probably not know why they're a Baptist. And you see, I want you to be a Baptist by conviction. Wednesday night, we're going to talk about what is the difference between a preference and a conviction. We don't have a whole lot of folks have conviction anymore. They have some preferences, but not conviction. I want you to be a Baptist by conviction. I want you to be a fundamentalist by conviction. I want you to understand how important it is to be independent as a church. Hope these will become your convictions. I had a very difficult time preaching this morning. You may have noticed that because I'm not a history teacher. okay? I'm a Bible preacher. And so I was out of my element this morning trying to just preach church history to you. And I'm going to be out of my element again here this evening. I also felt the constraint of time. I kept looking up there at that clock and knew we had several things that we needed to accomplish yet. And I felt that restraint. And I guarantee you I'm not feeling that one bit here this evening. So this is where I kind of ended this morning by saying this. It is my personal opinion that every Christian should be contending for the faith. That we should not be ashamed of our fundamental position. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend. We talked about what that word meant this morning, to contend, to be passionate about this, to put your whole heart into it, to be disciplined like an athlete, that you would contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares. There are enemies outside of the church, and there are also enemies within the church. We need to recognize that. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Evans brought to my attention this morning, and I knew this, that if you go down further into the text, it talks about the condemnation of these ungodly men that creep in unawares, and it refers to Sodom and Gomorrah. Isn't that interesting that we're living in a day when these ungodly men have crept into the church... And we have sodomites preaching from the pulpit, sodomites getting married in the church. And that pressure is going to be upon our churches in the future to cave to this ungodly thing. Licciviousness. Sexual immorality. So it is my opinion that every born-again Christian should not be ashamed of being a Baptist, we should not be ashamed of being a fundamentalist who is contending for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. I touched just a little bit this morning on the history of fundamentalism because I think it's important for us to understand not only the history of the Baptist, but the history of fundamentalism so we can appreciate the fact that we are fundamentalists here at Fellowship Baptist Church. So remember that the idea of fundamentalism emerged in the uh, 19th century with various Protestant churches. Now were the Baptist ever Protestants? No. no. We were never part of the Protestant Reformation. We existed well before that. So I think that's an important thing. But there were these evangelical churches. We're going to talk about the evangelical church and what that has become today. But at this time At this time in the 19th century, there was evangelical churches that were, gospel preaching churches that were reacting to the rising tide of liberalism and modernism that was really spreading throughout the church of Jesus Christ. And so fundamentalism began at this time, and we talked a little bit about that here this morning. From 1895 until the 70s, you got that? fundamentalism grew as a movement. But from the 70s until present, fundamentalism has been on the decline and has rapidly been on the decline in recent years. But fundamentalism as a major religious movement in the United States was pushed forward, not by the Baptist, but by conservative Presbyterians at Princeton Theological Seminary in the late 19th century. The identification of fundamentalist was picked up by a majority of conservative Baptists at this same time, and so there was an explosion of fundamentalism from 1910 to 1920. Okay, by 1930, another movement came along, and keep this in the back of your mind, which was called neo-evangelicalism. How many have ever heard of neo-evangelicalism? Okay, neo means what? New, new evangelicalism. And since that time, Neo has dropped off and now these churches just consider themselves evangelical, which has given birth to the contemporary church here in America in the last few years. So we're, that, that's where we're going to take you here uh, this evening in understanding uh, fundamentalism. But it was a movement uh, that really desired to redefine the key fundamental doctrines of the faith and we shared with you what those five key fundamental doctrines were and all of us said amen to them right Okay. it also was taking a stand not only on the false doctrine that had crept into the church but as I mentioned on liberalism Darwinism could you believe that Darwinism was being spread in the church, higher criticism and modernism. Now I didn't have time to deal with those this morning so I'm gonna deal with them here this evening. Let's talk about liberal theology. What is liberal theology? Well, it was a movement that reinterpreted biblical Christian teaching or doctrine, taking into consideration that that we need to uh, have modern knowledge applied to biblical truth we need to apply science boy have we found out where science will take you but we need we need to apply modern knowledge we need to apply science and we need to apply modern ethics to the scripture God help us the scripture stands far above any human knowledge or science or ethics It emphasized the importance of reason. God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not always reasonable. If they were reasonable, we wouldn't have to walk by faith. Hello, are you here? Yeah, that's where liberal theology takes you. But it emphasized the importance of reason. Experience. My experience trumps the truth of Scripture. Our experience never trumps the truth of Scripture. I've had people come to me and say this. I know this is what the Scripture teaches, but you wouldn't believe all the things that happened to bring this about. It had to have been God. I want to tell you something. Satan can arrange a lot of things. Mama, I'm here, I'm here to tell you tonight. If it goes contrary to the word of God, God's not involved in it. Don't put his name on it but they said we have to use reasoning and experience when it comes to the interpretation of biblical authority no biblical authority stands far above any of those science human reasoning experience mm -mm. stick with the good old book amen so liberal christians view their theology as an alternative to traditional theologies based on the authority of the Bible alone. Listen to what Paul said, professing themselves to be wise, were smarter than God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became what? They became fools. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. We don't apply man's reasoning to the scripture. We don't apply science to the scripture. There is, there is what Paul said, science falsely so-called. Well, we got to follow the science. I want to tell you something. No, we need to follow the Bible. So they saw their theology as an alternative to biblical truth. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. O oh, Timothy, I quoted an exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy this morning. O oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. I want to tell you something. This is the best science book you'll ever get. It's right here. Any science that goes contrary to this book is not, not true science. That's where now Darwinism comes in. You have liberalism that was spreading through the churches, and so the movement was to, fundamentalism, was to stand against liberalism. Then you have Darwinism that was creeping into the churches, and these churches were teaching that you could embrace Darwinism and you could embrace faith, and they can coexist at the same time. Absolutely not. There's nothing more contrary to the gospel than Darwinism. And so they came up with what they called theistic evolution. Theo means God, God evolution. You say, what is theistic evolution? Well, they had, it was their idea that God kind of started it and then left it up to evolution to take over. In the beginning, God started it. Is that what it says? in the beginning god what created he just didn't start the process of evolution in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the same was in the beginning with god all things were started by him and without him was not anything started that was started is that what the bible says all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So fundamentalism stood against liberal theology. Fundamentalism stood against Darwinism, and then we have higher criticism. How many have ever heard of higher criticism? I figured very few have heard about that. Higher criticism was Satan in the garden when he said to Eve, "Yea, hath God said." He was being a critic of what God had clearly said. So higher criticism is a a method of examining the Bible and seeking to discover what was really, see, what was really originally meant when the writers penned these words. I'll never forget, going I graduated from Northland Baptist Bible College. Years later, I went back to represent the mission in, in the Philippines, and there was a man that was up there preaching. He was from a certain seminary. If I named a seminary, most of you would know that. And he was preaching from the book of Hebrews, and so we were sitting there in the gymnasium listening to this man preach. And this is what he was saying. Well, this isn't really what the passage is saying. This isn't really what this word means. This is better interpreted. Can you tell me what was this man doing? He was causing Every single student who was listening to him to doubt the authority of the word of God. You know how hard it was for me to sit there and not stand up and say, stop. This is my alma mater. I cannot believe that you're teaching. He was teaching higher criticism, putting his intellect above the scriptures. All I can say is God help us. Higher criticism takes a very secular uh, perspective. It denies the supernatural. It denies inspiration. It denies preservation. We believe that not only was this word inspired, we believe this word has been preserved. We read it this morning from generation to what? Generation. Heaven and earth. May pass away but my word will not pass away god has preserved it and we have it here today we don't need someone to stand in criticism of it higher criticism rejects the possibility of prophecy and of the inspiration of scripture you know what the goal is of higher criticism The goal is to undermine the authority of the Word of God and shake people's confidence in the truth of Scripture. That's the bottom line. That's what it is. So you have liberalism, you have Darwinism, you have higher criticism, and the fundamentalists were banding together and saying, this is not going to be tolerated in our church. They were fighters contending for the faith. Remember, I quoted Spurgeon this morning. The Bible is the writing of the living God. Each letter was penned with an almighty finger. Each word in it dropped from the everlasting lips. Each sentence was dictated by the Holy Spirit. We believe that here at Fellowship Baptist Church, unapologetically. So, fundamentalism stood against modernism. It stood against liberalism, it stood against Darwinism, and it stood against higher criticism. What is modernism? Well, if it happened back in the early 1920s and 30s. I guess it's not so modern, is it? Oh, yes it is. It's just as modern as it ever was. The modernist at that time had a new approach to the church in its viewing of the Bible. You see, here's what I'm saying. All of these things that were creeping, spiritual creeps, so Pastor Dungey called them, spiritual creeps, all these spiritual creeps that were coming into the church, all of it was undermining the truth of this book. I mentioned this morning, I need to do this again. Why, why do we believe that King James Bible is the inerrant, it's without error, the inerrant, authoritative, preserved word of the living God? Why do we believe that? Because God promised to preserve his word. Now we have all these modern versions. At my last count there was over 400. There was like 450 modern versions. It seems like there's a new one coming out every year or so. The new one that's come out is the ESV and that's now replaced the NIV. I mean it's just you know what it is? It's a marketing scam. We don't need a new version of the Bible. We have the version that God intended us to have here in the English language. Again, it takes some history to understand how we got this Bible, but God promised to preserve it. I, I, I can't even begin to go there tonight. Maybe at another time we will. But the modernists questioned the teaching, the authority, the inspiration of the Bible within the church. And so what was happening is people were no longer looking to God for the answers of life. what are they looking to man's wisdom there's two sources of wisdom the wisdom which is from above and the wisdom which is of this world the question is which one are you going to believe and which one are you going to follow I'm an old-fashioned independent fundamental Baptist I'm gonna follow the wisdom of God not the wisdom of man. So with this whole thing, you know, here, here's what we now have. We need to reexamine and we need to rethink biblical values. Give me a big no. <laughs> no way. We don't re- need to rethink what God has given to us. But we need to rethink this. We need to reject and we need to replace this absolute truth. Because you know, times change. Cultures change. You're right. Times change, cultures change. This book never does. If this H.R. 5 bill makes its way through the Senate, past the Congress, makes its way through the Senate, some of you may not know what that bill is, go online, H.R. 5, read this bill. It's all about LGBT rights and forcing that upon the church that we're going to have to accept members who are in the LGBT community, we're going to have to marry them and give them equal rights, allow them to use whatever bathroom they want to... No, we will not. You say, why won't we? Because we're not modernist. We're fundamentalist. We believe the Bible. Paul said to the Thessalonian church, Therefore, brethren, stand fast... And hold the traditions which ye have been taught. Stand fast. Fellowship Baptist Church, hold on. Amen? Amen. The next generation, hold on. The generation thereafter, hold on. To Timothy, he wrote, Hold fast the form of sound words. To Titus, he said, hold fast the faithful word as you have been taught. To the Corinthians, he says, watch ye stand fast in the faith. Be steadfast and unmovable. That's having convictions. It is my conviction. I wish it was your conviction. It's not the conviction of probably many of you here tonight. That's why in this whole month as we're looking at the church, I want it to become your conviction. But stop and look how many, how many, especially of our young people who have grown up in our church have filtered off into liberal, modernistic churches. We're losing the next generation. Noah Webster, good old Noah. Ordained Presbyterian minister. Fundamentalism is orthodox. Orthos means correct. Doxa means opinion. A fundamentalist is one who has the correct opinion. Correct religious opinion or beliefs based on the literal interpretation of the Bible. That's the definition that Noah Webster gave to fundamentalism and then he gives an example the complete acceptance of the story of creation as given in genesis and the rejection of the theory of evolution that's just one example he gave we could give many more examples today of why we need to be fundamental I remember was a few years ago I received a letter from a pastor. And this is what he said. He said, I no longer want to be considered a fundamentalist. That broke my heart. That man is no longer in the ministry. I'm thankful for that. But we need more men to stand up and say, we will be true to the fundamentals of the faith. Why are we Baptists? Why are we fundamentalists? Why are we independent? We are living in an age of great compromise. I personally have never seen it like I'm seeing it today. It's shocking. It's shocking what's happening to our nation. And could it be that what's happening in our nation, the compromises that we're seeing in our nation, is a reflection on the compromises that have been being made in Christ Church, where we are supposed to be the salt and light and the moral conscience of a nation? I'm just asking you, could it be? My wife asked me on the way to church here tonight as we were talking about the moral decline and the depravity and what's happened in our nation with the election with, with President Biden and signing another executive order. Was it today or maybe yesterday, honey? She goes, what is our responsibility? I said, honey, I'm still trying to figure that out. But I know one thing, it's our responsibility not to back down or back away or ever to compromise the truth of this book right here. Who did we study this morning? Thank you, Pansy. I'm glad you were here this morning. We studied the Anabaptist. Did they back down? Did they back away? though thousands of them were drowned, were burned at the stake, were beheaded, they stood fast. Paul writing to the Thessalonians. By the way, that was just finishing up this morning's message. This was tonight's. I am going to go. You're stuck. You, you, You get up now and you walk out now what are we going to think about you? <laughs> Paul said, Now we beseech you. He's begging, begging them. Can you see the Apostle Paul just tears in his eyes, begging the Thessalonian believers? Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, nor troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. Listen to this, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Guess what? When you see these things come to pass, know that it is near, even at the door. Personally, I've never seen a falling away from the fundamentals of the truth of Scripture that I'm seeing today. It's shocking. We are living in the last days. And as living in the last days, we have to expect that the Bible is going to be true. Evil men and seducers, will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived themselves an age of great compromise I looked up the word compromise listen to this definition to give up something in order to reach an agreement or desired result okay we're gonna give up our fundamental beliefs in order to keep our churches full of people To accept standards. To accept standards that are lower than desirable in order to achieve an outcome. We're going to lower our standards. Listen to this definition. Blending qualities of two different things to adjust or to settle by concession. Interesting definitions. And when you stop and look at what's happening in the church community, that is exactly what we're seeing. The definition of compromise being fulfilled before our eyes. Again, Paul said, stand fast, hold fast, do not be moved. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and what? Doeth it not, to him it is what? He compromises. I know this is wrong, but you know the end justifies the means. Revelation. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. The Laodicean age. The last age just prior to the coming of Christ. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I wert that thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm, compromisers, like they say in the Philippines, sympathizers, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, you know how he finished it? I will what, church? Spew Spew you out of my mouth. The Lord does not want us to be in a position of compromise. Remember how I said this morning so many are now saying I don't want to be identified as a Baptist. I don't want to be identified as a fundamentalist. I don't want to be part of that independent fundamental Baptist crowd. And so what they're doing is they're dropping the name Baptist It's happening all over. Then you don't know really who they are. They have no identity. I thought, well, I'm gonna do something here. I'm just gonna look up all the churches in the Jackson, you know, and outlying areas. There's a ton of churches around here. Let me give you the names of some of them. West Winds. And I'm not standing critical. I don't know whether all these are gospel preaching or not, and I don't know what their doctrine is, but the reason I don't know is because they got these crazy names. West Winds, Encounter. What does that mean? Encounter. Grace, Cornerstone, Solid Rock, New Living, Light of Liberty. Hill, this is just a few of them. Hilltop, New Horizon, Southside, New, Fe- New Life Fellowship, Oasis of Love. new life church campus faith church lake area life christian news song streams in the desert keystone alive family we got too many alive families around here i'll tell you that right now vineyard crossroads peoples city life abundant life fellowship living waters healing streams Omega Temple, New Beginnings, Cottage Ministry, Christian Assembly, Word of Life Fellowship, Radiant. You know who I thought of there? I felt, remember Wilbur? Yeah. And Charlotte? Yeah. That's, what, that's what I thought of. New Jerusalem, just right down the road here. Family Worship Center, Fairview, Word of Light, Zion. I oh, don't know how we could go. Not that they're attaching any other name to it, then what what is this? I'm gonna tell you something. We will never take the name Baptist as long as I'm here. We'll never take the name Baptist off that sign. I want people to know who we are, who we are, and what we stand for. Biblical fundamentalism can be defined as strict uncompromising adherence to the biblical doctrines and separation taught in the Bible. Fundamentalism is an unwavering attachment to a set of fundamental doctrinal beliefs. Remember what John said? Many deceivers are entered into the world. whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. What is he saying? Not only do you hold steadfast to doctrine, but there is separation involved in this. A a fundamentalist is one who separates himself from false doctrine and wickedness. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptness. I have to share this passage. Revelation chapter 2. And unto the angel of the church at Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword, that's the word of God, with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Think of that. Satan had taken up his seat of authority in Pergamos. I think he's taken it up in Washington, D.C. right now. I know thy works, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days when Antipas was a faithful martyr who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, listen, because thou hast there them within your church that hold to the doctrine of Balaam. How many remember hearing about Balaam and the donkey, and who taught Balak, the king of Moab, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication? So what? What did Balaam teach Balak to do? You send your sensual, immoral women to go over and to seduce the Israelite men and to marry them and you will destroy the nation of Israel without even taking up a sword against them. What do we have? We have the mingling of the world and the church. The doctrine of Balaam. The Lord says, I hate it. What do we see happening today in the vast majority of our churches? we now have the mingling of the world and the church. And then he goes on, he says, so hast thou also them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. See, what, what, what did the Nicolaitans believe? They believed that Christ did away with the Old Testament law. We hear that all the time, don't we? Paul said, do I make void the law of God through faith? God forbid. Yea, I establish the law. Christ did away with the Old Testament law and instituted Christian liberty. We're under grace. We have a movement of what's called grace teaching within our churches. What is that? It's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What? God forbid. That's not what the grace of God is all about. The Nicolaitans taught that believers are eternally secure. Do you believe you're eternally secure? And because you're eternally secure and you can't lose your salvation, you can go out and live however you want to live. You can even, even commit sexual immorality. No big deal. Now, I am not going to give up the doctrine of eternal security, because it's a doctrine of Scripture. But that is often where we are accused as Baptists, oh, you just believe you're eternally secure and you can just go out and live however you want to live. That was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That's not the doctrine of the Baptist. Right. We don't believe that. It's not true that we are under grace so we can live a sinful life because we are forgiven. I want to tell you something, you live a life like that, you will fall, if you are a child of God and not a bastard, you will fall under the discipline of a holy God. Separation is one of the fundamental doctrines of Scripture. You cannot remove separation from this Bible. I'll never forget sitting down with another pastor one time. We were actually sitting around a fire. Uh, I think it may have even been after a church service on a Sunday night and we were having some fellowship. And I remember him looking over at me and he said, I hear you're a separatist. And I said, well, I believe in the doctrine of separation. I'd never been called a separatist before. I said, I believe in the doctrine of separation. I said, but I guess I never really considered myself a separatist. But yeah, I am. What did, what did they consider the Antibaptist? Radical separatist. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God's. Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the Father and widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted by the world. Not to become like the world, to reach the world, but to become unspotted from the world. Keep worldliness out of Christ's church. It has no place here. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, 1834 to 1892. Um, Emma was sitting in my lap, and I was going over this tonight, and I have this picture there of Charles Spurgeon in this quote, and she says, Grandpa, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Charles Spurgeon. The devil hath seldom done a clever thing than hinting to the church that part of its mission is to provide entertainment to the people with a view of winning them to Christ. Providing amusements for the people is nowhere spoken of in Scripture as a function of the church. Entertainment ministries in the long term will promote worldliness within Christ's church. Now that was back in the 1800s. What do you think he would say today? I'm here to tell you, we need to take a stand. Our young people, they need to know, why am I a Baptist? Why am I a fundamental Baptist? And why am I an independent Baptist? Satan is a master deceiver. He always has been and he always will be. And our young people are very vulnerable. That's why I said I'm so excited, especially for our young married couples. I wish they were all here tonight. There's a lot of them missing tonight that are usually here. But I'll tell you, we have some solid young married couples. And I'm so, so thrilled about that. A fundamentalist is a fighter. Who contends for the faith and fights a good fight of faith. Again, Paul to Timothy, this young preacher. This charge I commend unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before thee, that thou mayest war a good warfare. For the time will come, it's here when they will not endure sound doctrine. I just received a text from an individual in our church. I contacted him after he had texted me, but he said, I'm leaving the church. I want to find a church where I feel more comfortable. You listen to me. God never intended us to feel comfortable in his church. He intended us to be convicted challenged stirred changed but never comfortable where do you ever find paul writing to timothy or titus and saying, now you make sure you keep your people comfortable i want to tell you something. that's not the kind of preaching i want the, l- the last thing i want and if i was where you are the last thing i would want is a preacher to stand up here and make me comfortable not too long ago, someone mentioned me and said, "You know, why don't you? Why aren't you more positive in your preaching?" Man, I think I'm very. This is all positive tonight. This isn't. This is positive. We're fighting for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're defending the Holy Scriptures. Soldiers, warfare, fighting, wrestling, striving, contending—that's what a fundamentalist is. We are soldiers. This is boot camp. I never been in the military, but I never had someone go through boot camp camp that said, Wow, was that ever a comfortable experience? How many of you have been through boot camp? Can I s real enjoyable, wasn't it? But you know what? They came out on the other side better men. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Be tenacious when it comes to upholding the truths of this book. Therefore, brethren, be steadfast. Hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. This morning we talked about The original five fundamentals of the faith, we all said amen to them. The fundamentals of the faith have expanded over the years because more, you know why? Because more spiritual creeps have come into the church. And so we've had to expand our doctrinal statement. Let me give you the 24 fundamentals of the faith the inspiration and preservation of the Bible. We believe in the Trinity. Can't always explain it, can't always understand it, but the Bible teaches it. The attributes of God, we could go through a whole list. If you want to know about the attributes of God, ask Brother Walsh, he has them memorized. <laughs> right, Bill? He loves the attributes. Was that, the, was that your most favorite message that I've ever preached? Yeah. Pretty much so, yeah. I, think, I think Bill's preached it three or four times since then. The virgin birth. Give me an amen. Amen. The deity of Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The existence of angels and demons and Satan. A literal heaven, literal hell. The depravity of man. Salvation by grace through faith. Apart from the works of the law. That was one of the fundamentals of the Anabaptist movement. The ordinances of baptism in the Lord's table. Separation from worldliness. From religious apostasy. The autonomy of the local church. That was critical to the Anabaptists, we learned this morning. The church has the absolute right of self-government, free from any hierarchy, individuals, organization, or the state. Jesus Christ alone is the head of his church. The priesthood of the believer. A lot of people don't know what that is. Well, what is that, pastor? That's the, I am my own individual priest. But I don't have to go to a priest. I'm a priest before God myself. Therefore, I should live accordingly. Soul liberty. Say, what's soul liberty? That means I I have to give an account to God for how I live my life. Soul liberty. The sovereignty of God, the premillennial rapture of the church, the second advent of Jesus Christ, and the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. If you believe, those are the fundamentals of the faith, you believe those, you're a fundamentalist, don't be ashamed of it. Defend them. Because if we don't defend them, we could lose them in the next generation. Now remember, I told you this morning, what is a generation? 25 to 28 years. Doesn't take long for 25 or 28 years to slip by. I was talking to someone this morning, my dad, you know, my birthday's next Sunday, I think we're celebrating it. Yeah, thanks a lot. But I'll be 60. And I remember my dad saying to me, the older you get, the faster time goes. Is that right, Bob? It is true, isn't it? I'm like, it's Sunday, and it's Sunday. Where'd the week go? Every one of us here should be concerned about biblical doctrine. We, we should be concerned about moral values. We should be concerned about secularism, liberalism, and modernism, which has come into our churches. We should be concerned. We should be concerned about separation. Remember I told you about the neo-evangelicals. Yes. Okay. Many of you have never heard the phrase neo-evangelical. I grew up being preached about the new evangelical movement okay but it's something we haven't heard for years but remember there was a there was a there was the growth of fundamentalism from nineteen what 1910 to 1920 and then you you know you have the liberals we whoa there's this matter of fact back then you were either a fundamentalist or you were a modernist You kinda fell into one of those two camps And so the the evangelicals who really didn't want to hold a fundamental position said, we're going to start our own movement. We're going to be the new evangelicals. Here's what the fundamentalists taught. The fundamentalists taught that we are to come out from among them and be separate. The neo-evangelicals taught that we are to become like the world to reach the world. So see, we're the new. We're not going to take that fundamental position. We're going to become like the world to reach the world. So as time went on, Neo has been dropped off. And now what do we call? Evangelicals. Well, I am an evangelical. If someone says they're an evangelical, it's simply they don't want to identify as a fundamentalist. And the evangelical movement is what's given birth in the last ten years to the contemporary church. That's just everywhere. When uh, we moved here forty years ago, graduated from Bible college, moved, took, took the church in Napoleon. When we moved here, you could listen to Family Life Radio. but slowly but surely family life radio today you can't tell the difference between family life radio and a rock and roll station. You have, I mean you really have to listen to maybe hear the word Jesus or God or heaven or something. You know what that is? That's the movement of neo evangelicalism to evangelicalism to the contemporary church. Let's become like the world to reach the world. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none, saith the Lord. I hate to tell you this, but I, th- I see our country on a rapid course to destruction. I had to tell my wife, I don't know how long it's going to take, I don't know what's all going to happen, but we're headed for destruction. God's looking for someone. Guys, is, is Dan, Dan's not here tonight, is he? Do you have that clip up there on the computer of a congressman standing up and opposing the uh, HR 5 bill. Can you look up? Let me know that. He said he put it on. You got it? Okay, you, you trying to find it? Are these projectors still on? Yeah. Okay. As soon as they find this, I want you to watch this. Truthfully, I don't know how I came across this. I am not a YouTuber. You know that. But somehow someone gave me a link or something, came across my phone, and went to this. This is a congressman, I don't know his name. From Florida, what's his name? Here's a man that is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I don't know who he is, I don't know his background, but you listen to him as he takes a stand in Congress and two individuals try to shut him down. I'm going to tell you, as I watch this, I think most of you, probably most of you don't know, I don't know. Uh, Jerry Nadler, how many know who Jerry Nadler is? He used to be about this big. Man, he's, he's lost a ton of weight. But I'm here to tell you, we need to pray for that man's salvation. He is an evil, evil, wicked man in Congress. You guys got this yet? You got it? No. We already showed that one. That must have been when you skipped church. <coughs> well, you have it, but they don't have it. Dan said he put it on the computer. What's that? I, I hear what you said. Oh, do you have it, Mike? Well that's what I want, is what was said. They give congressmen about five minutes to address the other congressmen and women. No, I don't want you to read it. <laughs> you, you don't, you don't, you don't have it? No, do you have, do you have the video of it? Mike said, I don't even know how to operate my phone. You got it? But anyway, we may not be able to show this. That, that, that really breaks my heart because I'm telling you, you, you all would have been stirred with this young man. I mean, he was, he was given it to the Congress concerning what God says about homosexuality and this perversion and why we are under the judgment of God. One man tried to shut him down and he continued. And Jerry Nadler, at the end of his speech, stood up and said, God has no place in this Congress. That's where we are. Oh, my soul. I thought, what would our founder, could our founders ever imagine a congressman standing up When these men had a bill to pass, they spent time in fasting and prayer before a man to stand up and say God has no place in this Congress. Could it be that we have said in many of our churches God's word has no place here anymore? Do not we get the government that we deserve?
0: Let's pray.